sheet for today's message. Uh, raise your hand. We'll be sure to bring one around for you. There you go over here. Thank you. Keep your hands up. We'll get you one. Just curious. Over here, Kim. Just curious. Uh, after that little uh, prayer time, is there any area of your life, anyone here who's closed off, still closed off to the Lord, he has no access to you this morning? Or are we all in the same page? Because we can come back to that. Anybody? Okay. We're going to talk about something that, uh, you know, we kind of talk about all the time, but we never talk about it all together. We never package it together. Not, not usually. Um, but we, we started talking about it last week. Last week we talked about Acts chapter 27 where a ship was at sea in a storm and they would lower soundings into the ground, into the water, to see how deep the water was. So they'd have a long rope and it's weighted on the bottom, like a big sinker for you fishermen, and it would, they would drop it down until the rope got slack and that way they would know how deep the water was. They needed to know how deep the water was because they needed to know if they were gonna run aground. Sometimes they didn't want to run aground, and sometimes they were so desperate they had to run aground. It was their only way out. The point being, my friend, we need to know our depth. We need to know also our lack of depth as it pertains to our relationship with Christ. A lack of depth in this world is a concerning thing for me a pastor, a lack of depth in your grandchildren, your children, your neighbors, that is a problem. We're tossed, those type people who lack depth are tossed to and fro by every wave of the sea. Not knowing that even the wind and the waves obey him. So we're tossed about for lack of depth. Depth is an important thing to me. Depth is more important than numbers. Numbers of people, attendance, depth is necessary. And we need to put those soundings down from time to time to understand how deep is my faith actually. Not what I outwardly project it to be, but inwardly that reality. How deep is my faith right now? Is it deep enough for my family, deep enough for my wife, deep enough for my girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance? Is it deep enough to raise my children? Is it deep enough? Is there a level of depth in our devotedness, our allegiance? Are we, are we not unlike these first century disciples who literally put their lives on the line by publicly professing their faith. I don't, I don't know if we're gonna live long enough, but I can tell you that day will come. That day will come. Are we in deep enough waters? Well, over the last three decades, some personal experience, a lot of ministry, and watching other ministries, I've seen the, what many people know to be the 12 steps of recovery from addiction 
or eight or however many, it doesn't matter. Most, all of them are based on the Bible. They all originated out of someone who pulled them right out of the Bible. And I often find myself wishing that they weren't so typecast. You know how you take an actor or actress and you typecast them? Like, it's gonna be hard for Jim Caviezel to play a serial murderer. Right? We get typecast, okay? Well, sometimes we typecast things and we relegate them, okay, that's for them. But it's really for us. So what I've done is I've taken these 12 steps of recovery, which I've taught and helped people and disciple them through for years, and I've eliminated them down, shrunk them down to 11, and I wanna share them with you because these 11 steps are unavoidable if we wanna have depth and maturity. They also give us an idea where we may need to visit or revisit. These things aren't, okay, make your way through them and you're done. This is a continual go back into a process of sanctification. I'm trying to go back in my faith right now, as you've heard me say. Maturity for me is not going forward. Maturity is going back to the basics and the fundamentals of the faith and practicing them in a deeper, more loving, devoted way. So with that having been said, we look at this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again believer, you're, whether you are or not, I do not know, but you're supposed to be in an ongoing process of sanctification. Your life has taken on a purpose and a meaning that it didn't have prior to Christ, and that process is one of maturing and growing, learning, discovering, having fun, adventuring life with Christ, but growing in maturity and becoming more holy or even whole. Okay, that's really what's supposed to be going on. Now, whether it is or not, I do not know. All right, step one. How does this process start? Well, step one, it starts with the idea that there is sin in this world, and the world is trying to get rid of sin as quick as possible. Make it relative, make it personal, make it opinionated. Uh, that sin necessitates an absolute who came up with the standards, therefore, if sin exists, then, then there's a standard to violate, and if there's a standard to violate, then there's a standard bearer. So if you don't wanna have a God, you can't have sin, sorry. The godless don't have sin because the godless have no law, and they have no forgiveness because there's no law to break, there's no redemption. So we, we have to recognize there's sin in the world. Uh, Genesis 1 and 26 says, let us, capital U-S, make man in our own image. The first, second mention of the Trinity actually in the Bible, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. So we're born with this um, spiritual aspect to us in the image of God, and we're made so that we can commune with God unlike anything else made. We're made in the image of God. And then the problem comes when, we, when the fall came, when we sin. Romans 3 and 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One thing I don't, I don't know everyone here, and I don't know the visitors that filled up these pews, but what I do know is, and you know, I'm a sinner, and so are you. <laughs> Hate to disappoint you, we're all sinners. 
sin, it, it, its effects. I want you to think about this. How does a worm get inside an apple? Perhaps you think the worm burrows in from the outside. No. Scientists have discovered that the worm comes from inside. But how does he get in there? Simple. An insect lays an egg in the apple blossom. Sometime later, the worm hatches in the heart of the apple and eats its way out. Sin, like the worm, begins in the heart and works out through a person's thoughts, words, and actions. It's horrible when you have a worm in your apple. What's, wor- what's worse than a worm in your apple? Half a worm. <laughs> Half a worm. Patty got that right away. A half a worm is worse than a whole worm. You guys explain it to one another on the way home. Step two. We gotta live, we, we understand we're sinners. I mean, come on. If you look, if you if you have if you need to be convinced there's sin in the world, you haven't watched the news in like ever. Ever. Step two. We need outside help. Overcoming sin and the consequences of sin need a loving Lord. You see, sin, which is the transgression of God's law, has consequences. You could be forgiven of your sin, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have consequences, right? It has consequences. It alienates us from God unless we rectify that situation. It alienates us from one another. It alienates us from ourselves and who God has called us to be. Sin has negative effects and consequences. So you don't escape sin and you don't escape the consequences of sin. You don't, sorry. I'm not the one who decided that, so there it is. But we need outside help to overcome the consequences of our sin. Is all sin the same? Oh, I hear this all the time, all sin is the same. Yeah, okay, in one respect, but I'd much rather you think about murdering me than actually shoot me. They're both murder, right? Some sins have immediate consequences. Some are delayed. Step two is really saying that not only is there sin and it's in our nature from the inside out like a worm, um, but we can't be the Lord of our own life. We just, I know we want to. And I work, we're conditioned even in our culture to think that this is my life, I have these rights, I'm gonna live my American dream, I'm gonna do this, me, my, me, it's all, it's all me, my, me, my, me, my. Okay, on one hand I get that, but in reality, it's really not your life, and there's some rights you're gonna to have to give up, and it's totally counter to what we're taught from a very early age in our country. First Corinthians 12 and three, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There is this thing that happens along the way that comes by God in us, a revelation of who he is that sees that we are not Lord, he is. And when that takes place, we're moving in the right direction. Back to consequences, Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death. That's why we're all gonna die. Enoch didn't die, which I think is kinda cool. Enoch was walking with God along the way. It was getting dark. 
And God said, hey, we're a lot closer to my house than yours. Let's just go to my house. <laughs> Off he goes. But most of us are going to die. Sin nature, we need outside help. Therefore, we must be born again. We must uh, come alive in a new, in a spiritual sense. Jesus said, you must be born again. You can't just be born of water. You have to be born of water and the spirit. You were all born of water. You're all born in a natural birth from your mother. He says, you also have to be now, because of your sin nature, you have to be born again in a spiritual sense. Unless one is born again, he cannot see kingdom of God. There's your test. If you cannot see the kingdom of God, you can't see what God's trying to do in this world. You can't quite figure out what God's all about. You may not be born again, says Jesus anyway. And he says, Romans 10 and 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, spared, uh, sustained eternally. Uh, one of the coolest examples of that is you have a fairly confused and hurt and um, oppressed woman at the well who, who, who got it. It clicked. It clicked with her in her conversation with Christ. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. What she's really saying in her words is, come see a man who's actually God, who, who actually knows me, knows where I've been, knows what I've done, knows things about me no one else would know. Not unlike I saw you under the big tree. So <clears throat> we, we must be born again. We must confess our sin, which means to agree with God. Confess it with our mouth, he is Lord. We need to confess that we are sinners. Ask for forgiveness. Turn away from that life to God. Repent. And I would add a fourth one, renounce. Renounce the life you used to live. Now, for some of you, this will be much easier than others if you haven't already been born again. You, the dichotomy between your old life and your new life, it, it, it's, it's so... Uh, Disproportionate. I mean, you lived like I did, a really, really sinful life. It wasn't hard to me to figure out. I wasn't going in the right direction. The consequences of my life were horrible, horrific, and was getting to the point where the consequences would have been even more horrible and horrific, not just for me, but others. Had I killed somebody, ran them over, whatever. But we all have to come to a place where we need to be born again. You who live a wonderfully generous, magnanimous, fun, blessed life, but have no Christ in your heart, you're still, I'm sorry, a sinner in need of a savior. We all are. You cannot earn your way into approval with God. His standard is far too high for all of us. His standard is perfection. None of us can attain it but one, his son, who lived a sinless life as our representative on our behalf, our substitute, our propitiation, and died on a cross as a man so that his punitive punishment 
would suffice and we would be spared for his replacing us in death that we might have eternal life. I appreciate you live a wonderful life and everything, but it's not wonderful enough, nor will it ever be. Okay? Step four. You need to start getting specific. This is where most people fall off the bus. This is where most believers, followers of Christ, get slack, frankly. This is where those who understand these steps understand that this is one of the most important ones, certainly after being born again. This step right here is the difference maker. In uh, addiction circles, it would go something like, you take a fearless, moral inventory of yourself. I mean, it's like filleted wide open, let me look at my life, past, present, and future, what have I done wrong? Who have I wronged? It is a <laughs> painful at times list of transgressions so that you get a clear picture, not only of who you are, but who you are not. It is an honest assessment of the sin in your life. The closest we get to this is the communion table and we come sometimes, sometimes not examining ourselves. That's as close as we get. It is an honest inventory written that truly describes what it is you need to be forgiven of, what it is, the transgressions, the patterns, the cyclical behavior, the, the dysfunction that exists in your life without Christ, even now with him, it's important to get that inventory together at one time in one place, with focus, with concentration, with the power of prayer, it is important. And listen, it's not a one-time exercise. Some of us, and you hear me say this, you need to come back to Psalm 51 every now and again in your spiritual diet. It is healthy, it is needed, it is necessary to come back to a, a moral inventory from time to time to know where you are, how deep is that water. You can check, you can stymie, you can thwart, you can stop, you can arrest the patterns that are rising up in the way that you treat your spouse or, or uh, your coworkers or whatever it is by taking an inventory. What happens when we don't take an inventory of ourselves? Occasionally, someone else does. And if you are receiving from someone else your spiritual inventory, it's only because you have failed to take it yourself again. It's important. This idea of coming to Christ early in life and then everything is roses from then on. No, no, you and I have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's work to be done not to earn anything, but to be cleansed, to be refined, to mature. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the people you are going to help through this process, okay? Inventory is very important. If your, your life is full of comments and verbal comments about what you're doing wrong or what you always do, it's probably because 
you have failed to take an inventory yourself. If you had, you would have probably stopped that behavior. The fact that you didn't, God simply gives us reminders. I would say this is something like, and I don't know how you operate, but I think it's, I think it's a good idea every once in a while for uh, a wife to say, uh, wouldn't this be great? You know, I need to go away for a weekend and just be alone and deal with whatever I need to deal with. I think a husband needs to do the same thing. I think we need that time and we need the luxury of being given that time to go out and like, not always have to be doing something, just worshiping, take an inventory, whatever it is. We don't afford one another this luxury and, and what happens is we, we have to deal with the consequences of it. It doesn't make any sense. So moral inventory, very important. Step five. It's not enough to take a moral inventory. It's not enough. You, you take it, you write it, you refine it for the purpose of sharing it with another. Someone who is mentoring you, discipling you, someone who's been where you have been, someone who's more mature than you, someone that can keep you from overreacting or underreacting, someone who can love you through the painful process of these things coming out that you need to deal with and the Lord needs to help you deal with under his lordship. This is becoming more and more difficult in our world because it's becoming more and more difficult for people to trust others with confidentiality. We need people in the church who can be listeners, not judgers, but listeners of others and their difficulties and be safe doing it. Very important. Men to men, women to women, obviously. Not, ladies, I love you. But not every problem in your life needs to be shared in a Bible study of 30 people. And I mean that because I'm going to tell you why. Because it comes back to me. Or and if it's coming back to me, it's coming back to someone else. Some of those things are meant for a one-on-one relationship and the whole town is aware of your situation. That's not good. That's not fostering a safe environment. By sharing things publicly that you think is not public, let me tell you something, it's public. Even sharing things about your husband does not stay in the room. I'm telling you, it doesn't stay in the room. We need people in our life that are safe. Men do too. Men need this really bad. I love the transparency, but I'm cautioning you. Use discernment. You don't mean to hurt anybody. You don't mean to be hurt. We have to use discretion. I say that in love. But we do need to share with another. I'll give you an idea. This gets left out all the time. It's very important. 
If anyone is suffering, let them pray. If anyone is cheerful, let them sing psalms. If anyone is among you sick, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, and if he has committed sins, and if he has committed sins, he shall be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. When, we, when people come to the elders, myself and the other elders, we lay hands on the sick. We almost invariably, don't we guys, we read this passage and we ask this question almost every time. Is there anything you need to confess? Is there anything you need to get off your chest? Because listen, the presence of unconfessed sin stinks. It's musty, it's rotten, and it may even be the reason you're physically ill. Amen? Why can't I get an amen? That was actually good preaching. You walk around and keep stuff you don't, it isn't meant to be given and shared in a safe environment, it can make you sick. Thank you. Doctors, scientists even tell us this. We can't harbor things in our heart. We need those relationships with others. And it may just be, here's what I did. I formed an intercessory prayer team for myself and my family one time. And out of a church of 7,000 people, I picked the top intercessors. And I, as a youth minister, I got them. And they, they prayed for my wife and I and our children through thick and thin, some of the middle of the night for years. It was the best intercessory prayer team in the history of the kingdom of God. And how did I pick them? I didn't know much, but I knew how to pick them. I watched them worship. I didn't watch them pray. Prayer's not a gift. People say intercession is a gift. It's not a gift. It's a re- Nowhere in the Bible does it say that intercession is a gift. Intercession is a responsibility that falls upon all of us. Period. But I watched them worship. If I could see them lose lose a self-awareness and just abandon themselves to God and worship that they were on my prayer team. At least I asked them, and no one told me no. And we skirted death. We skirted disease. We skirted a lot of things. And our youth ministry wasn't tepid either. We were highly aggressive in reaching tens of thousands of lost people for the glory of God. We need that person in our life to share our trespasses with. This is where most don't get involved. They they attend church and that's it. It's the middle of these steps that we miss. Next step, step six, willingness to allow the Spirit of God to displace these issues in our life. I don't, want, I don't want you to think that God is interested. And remember that, that game, Operation, where you had the electrical thing and you had the, like if you hit the sides when you're trying to pull something out of the body, it would shock you. <laughs> they wouldn't allow that now. You remember back when you smoked cigarettes and didn't have baby uh, seats? You put the kid in the back seat and it, it, you knew it was back there when it hit that door or this door. That's the way we used to live. I don't even, we put a man on the moon, but we didn't know what a baby seat was. What is going on? 
We put a man on the moon, but we were chain smokers. I don't understand it. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, operation. Well, we, we, we try to use that little thing where you go down there and pull something out, and if you don't hit the sides, you don't get shocked. Well, that's not how God works. God's not some surgeon trying to pull bitterness out of our heart. He's not looking for, like, he doesn't, like, uh, he doesn't try to extricate things out of our life. He displaces them. He fills us with his spirit. These other things just come out. He doesn't give us room for these things to grow and foster and grow mold and stink up our life. This, this, uh, once you've confessed, you've taken an inventory and you confessed your sins and you have a safe person in which to, to dump this on and cast these cares on the Lord and clean, clean house like spring cleaning, what's the first thing you do? Get filled with the Spirit. There's room. Let's move. That there is willingness to allow the Spirit of God to displace these issues in our life. This, this thing here, and I know some of you aren't uh, Pentecostal or whatever. What does that have to do with anything? Most Pentecostals are, think they're Pentecostals or not. If they really were Pentecostals, they'd be full of joy and more evangelistic, and most of them are neither. I'm talking about the Bible being filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. Therefore, don't be unwise and understand what is the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or debauchery. What he's saying is don't be under the influence of the world. Be under the influence of the Spirit, Spirit of God, but be filled with the Spirit. The grammar there is continually refilled and refilled and refilled. Not some event that happened at a tent meeting in the early 60s that you're hanging on to for the rest of your life, telling all your peers how spiritual you are. I'm talking about the daily infilling of the Spirit. That's a person moving in the right direction. Step seven, humbly ask to displace our shortcomings. There it is. We are always fix, or fixing our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, but not to the neglect of realizing that we've, you know, we've got some sin in this area or that area. We're not condemning ourselves. We're just in the process of cleaning house all the time. That's step seven. Step eight, willing to make amends and restitution wherever possible and appropriate. Colossians 3 and 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you. Always working out your differences. That's a sign of depth and maturity. The five best ways to ask for forgiveness. Acknowledge how much of a failure you are in this particular area and in the relationship, how you failed. Explain what went wrong and take responsibility. That's almost unheard of nowadays. I almost think we ought to go out and take responsibility for things we never did just so somebody can see someone take responsibility for something. Nobody's responsible for anything. Well then, if anything and everything that's going on, somebody's got to be responsible. How can no one be responsible? When is the last time anybody got on national TV and said, I was responsible, I messed up? Exactly. <laughs> Truly repent and be genuine.
Tell them you'll fix things and follow through. I kind of like that, I kind of don't. Here's what I like. Ask the person you offended or wronged. Take responsibility for it. And repentance should be, I'm gonna do my best to go the other direction. Will you help me? Now, someone you were estranged with, you've now invited into helping you. Now you have an ally, not an adversary. Will you help me? What does that mean? Will you point out when I'm headed in that direction, knowing what you know about me? And then the last one, allow them to be angry. Anger is not a sin. Let me say it again. Anger is not a sin. If there's a couple here that's been married for 50 years and you've never fought or had a disagreement or had any friction, I wanna meet with you right after the service because something is really wrong. You are not real, you're not yourself, and that is toxic. If you have no friction in a relationship for 50 years, I just halfway wanna beat the tar out of you just to see if you'll get angry. Anger is not a sin, but in your anger, do not sin. If anger was a sin, we'd, we'd have a sinful savior. Got pretty upset one day. Anger means sometimes we care. And if you've wronged somebody and it was, it was a deep enough offense that it warrants you asking for forgiveness and asking and repenting and going through this whole process, if it was deep enough for that, then it was deep enough for them to be hurt and maybe angry. Give them room to be angry. It says they care about the relationship. Do you hear me? If you never get angry as a couple, it, it, it's, a, it's a red flag. It means you don't care anymore. I had a disagreement with my wife every, uh, not every day, well, maybe every day. I said, oh great, we care. You give a rip. Once that stops, it's over, pal. You got nothing, nothing. Step nine, live a life mindful of wrongs, both new and old, and remain willing to make amends for them all. Step 10, worship, prayer, and meditation remains avenues to intimacy with Christ, seeking first his presence. All right, you've been sitting here in this thing and you've taken notes, some of you, and some of you are like, okay, I get it. I, I know where I'm at, whatever. Okay, let's move on. Here's your assignment, those people. Go to the Bible, get Psalm 63 out. Look at verse one through 11, write it down on a piece of paper and walk around with it for a month. Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you and my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in, this, in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. You take that verse, you, make, you carry it with you everywhere you go, whatever it is you need to do, you pray it, you worship with it, you never, you, you read it four, five, six times a day, not until it's a rote religious exercise, but until it starts to get inside your heart. You don't stop. 
You don't stop until your intimacy with the Lord is noticeably different than it was when you started. There's your assignment. You don't let go of that verse. You anchor yourself to it. You throw it over the side of your boat, and that becomes your mission for the next two, three, four months, years, decades. I don't care. Until your intimacy with Christ is doubled where it is right now, that verse will get you there. Meditate on it, chew on it, digest it, worship with it, pray with it, listen to songs with it, put headphones, dance with it. I don't care what you do, but that verse right there, you don't let go of. Step 10. And 11. So our worship team comes up. Having had the scales fall from our eyes, we seek to make disciples of others. There it is. When it disappoint you, the definition of disciple is not one who follows Christ. It's one who not only follows Christ, but disciples others. There it is, full circle. So I want to share something with you. I want to invite some people to make a decision this morning based, based on your depth, the soundings of your depth. Every notch in that rope is six feet long, and that's what they used to measure, and it's called a fathom, six feet. How deep is your spiritual walk? How many fathoms? represent your depth in Christ. Another question. Regardless of how deep your walk is, is it deepening? Is it deepening? There are more fathoms to add to your walk to make it more effective and enjoyable and loving and caring and compassionate and victorious and prosperous and abundant and wise and everything that you want in life, there are more fathoms. And I'm appealing to you this morning. You've already accepted Christ. You don't lack an awareness of a faith in a savior. You lack an awareness of an absence of depth in the relationship with the Savior. We dedicated a baby. Over the last two weeks, you may realize you, you need to rededicate yourself. A new prayer, a new plea, a new promise that brings depth to your walk. And depth is synonymous with joy, purpose, mission, a lot of things. It's not become a student. It's not become an academic. You heard that today, depth. It's a very important verse. Please listen. Church of Jesus Christ needs to hear this verse much more often and live it. Matthew 10, uh, 10 and 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Our transgressions, our difficulties, our sins, our trespasses, 
They're meant to be shared in confidence with a trustworthy person. Our faith, our allegiance, our devotion is intended to be public. Your faith was never intended to be private. It's always been intended to be public. Public, public. If you don't confess Christ before people, he's trying to make a point here. I'm not sure I'm gonna confess you before my father. You get it? You get the point? So I'm gonna ask this question. You've been confirmed You've been through catechism. You've you've been in the church, sometimes more than others. But it isn't getting in. Here's the surface, and here's you. I am a big believer in a public. You don't see me... Very rarely will I say, close your eyes so nobody can see you, so you can accept Christ and you can leave here and no one knows you did it. (sighs) You break. If you're here today and you need to rededicate your life, I mean really. And maybe you don't all have the pieces in place and the people in place to, to go through a process such as I'm saying here. I'm not inviting you into a formula or a recipe. I'm inviting you into a deeper friendship. That's all. If that's you, I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to stand up because I want you to, I, w- I want you to have the brazenness. Thank you. The brazenness certainly doesn't take much if you're devoted to Christ to say, yeah, I want to honor him and I want to grow in my faith. Anyone else? Thank you. Good for you. Good. I also want to ask this question. Is anyone here today who's never... Keep standing if you would, please. It's okay. If you're you're here today and you never received Christ, you've never been born again. I invite you to stand up and make today the day of your salvation. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and ask you to think about some things. Is there anyone here that needs Christ this morning? I want you to stand up so we can pray for you. All right, if you're you're standing, I want someone around you to put their hand on your shoulder. Remember these two words, friends. Identify, impart. Why don't you put your shoulder on them? Let's have someone, there you go. Let's have someone lay their hands on these people here. Thank you. You visitors were brought here for a reason today. Good for you. All right, I want you to lay your hands on them. I want you to pray along with me and pray your own prayer of identification and impartation, rededication. Father, those, those of us have taken a sounding this morning and we desire more depth with you. Taken a sounding 
and we want you, and we want depth. Resiliency, commitment, allegiance, devotion. Strengthen, embolden, solidify, call. Call them to deeper levels of worship and prayer, friendship and joy. Call them. Partner them up with those who can help them to grow. But call them from deep unto deep. I'm going to say the prayer. You whisper it out loud right where you're at. Lord, I'm standing up here today rededicating my life to you. I'm confessing a greater need of you than perhaps I realized. Perhaps I've not prioritized you. I wish to do so now. I need the desire. Would you give me the passion? I need the hunger for your word. I need you to help me seek you. I need you involved in the seeking and the realizing and the capturing of your heart. Capture my thoughts that I may capture your heart. I rededicate myself to you, to your glory. Show me things which I do not know and use me for your glory. I want more of you. May you increase and may I decrease. Grant me depth in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let's close in worship. Let's worship our Lord today. He's so good to us.